gentlemen, welcome back to the Being Husband Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan West, bringing you guys another episode here, telling you guys, like I always do, gentlemen, thank you for being a part of the work that we're doing here. If you've been with us for any length of time, then you know what we're all about. We're helping men live on mission in their marriages. And so today is Theology on Thursday. This is typically, for those of you that are new, these are episodes typically that take place on Thursdays where we have a conversation about different theological ideas and viewpoints. I try to keep it pretty brief. This is a really big one. I'm probably going to have to revisit it. So if you guys got any kind of questions or comments or anything you guys want to share and and talk through and work through, uh, leave those uh, in my inbox on Instagram at underscore Jonathan West. That's at underscore Jonathan West or send me an email. Uh, it's being husband podcast at gmail.com. This is a lot of information that I could really spend a long time on, but I won't be. I'll, I'll keep it brief in order to respect your time. But the question that we got going on today, uh, it's who leads in a marriage? Who leads in a marriage? If you guys were listening yesterday, then you, uh, you, you know what we talked about yesterday on the podcast. And that was the question of, uh, you know, how do you make sure that you're somebody worth following? How do you make sure that you're a husband worth following? And the obvious question from that is, well, what makes man the leader? Who makes man the leader in a relationship at all? And is there a biblical foundation for that? And you guys have been, you know, for those of you that have been here a while, you guys know kind of how we talk about it and that kind of thing. But I want to get into the meat uh, of where these, where this idea of biblical headship comes from. So if you've got your Bible, I sound like somebody at church. <laughs> if you got, if you got your Bible, uh, go to Ephesians five. If you don't, it's fine. You can just listen. You're probably driving or lifting or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, whatever. Doesn't matter what you're doing, but Ephesians five. And I'm going to start with 22. Okay. Even though we're not going to specifically address the wife's role, we're going to talk about the man's role, but I'm going to just read it just so you have full context. All right. So it says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is one that I always quote, guys. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because, oh sorry, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, and this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, okay? And he's quoting the Old Testament in this last section. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul concludes, this is a mystery. No, sorry, this mystery is profound. 
and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so you get a little bit of that dichotomy there between love and respect. And so that's a verse that many of us already know. Many of us have already heard before. Um, but the question then arises for a lot of people, and, and I'm going to explain kind of the position of people that, you know, ask this question generally. Um, they would ask the question, well, Jonathan, what about Galatians 3 and 28? What do you say about that? And so I'm going to read Galatians 3 and 28. And so Galatians says, and this is Galatians 3 and 28 again, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is neither, this is, catch this one, there is neither male nor female for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so when you read those two side by side, Okay, because these are these are verses that are typically talked about in relation to gender dynamics uh, in, in marriage and in life in general. And so when you read those two things side by side, there's two different fields of thought that have come through that in Christianity. Okay, you've got traditional biblical headship, which is pretty much codified by that Ephesians five verse. And then you've got egalitarianism egalitarianism and that just means that thinking that man and woman are the same and a woman are uh fundamentally uh n not not different at all they're 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 the they're the same and their functions are the same in a marriage they each hold the same amount of weight in a marriage and so you look at that and you say jonathan both of those things exist there man how 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 do you explain this how, how do you go about dealing with this is, is a marriage 50 50 is 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 the wife the leader? Are they co-leaders? Like what's 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 going on here? Because Paul just said in Galatians that there's no male nor female. But then in Ephesians, he said that there's a sense of structure and hierarchy there that exists. How do you reconcile that? And so here's kind of, before I get into how I reconcile it, let's first deal with the issue of egalitarianism. Okay. The reason that this has come about as a, a thought in Christianity is because there has been a cultural, in the past, there's been a cultural acceptance of biblical truth that has been abused. And that cultural acceptance of biblical truth is a traditional biblical headship. Now, what I mean by that is the, the man being the primary leader of the home. And that is that has been in the past adopted by culture that for some folks that have adopted it in the culture weren't necessarily Christians. They just went to church for social reasons or went to church for political reasons or went to church just to uh, say that they did kind of thing. So they adopted and clung on to this idea of male headship in marriage. Also, that they could, hey, honey, make sure you give me my stuff. Hey, I'm the man. I'm, you know, you submit to me. You're supposed to do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. That kind of guy. Okay. And because of that, because of the abuse of that structure, 
what happened is that there started to be some women, there started to be even some men in the church that were saying, you know, they were looking out into culture as well because the cultural response to that abuse, right? And you know that abuse. Let me let me try to paint a picture. You guys ever watch Mad Men? You guys ever seen that? Great show. Fantastic show. Really interesting show. Um, I, I won't say that it's it's not a biblical show by any means. It's not Veggie Tales or anything like that, but it's 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 interesting to know about that time period. You could personify the abuse of biblical male headship as Don Draper and how he treated his wife. Don Draper was a, a guy that worked in business. His wife stayed at home and, and kind of did the homemaking and took care of the kids and all of that. Um, but Don Draper would be carousing around town, hooking up with other women, getting drunk with his buddies, hooking up with other women, just really not doing marriage right. <laughs> and so that is the abuse that that. Uh, stereotypical man is the reason for this critique. So the cultural critique to that was feminism. Now, I won't get into the details of feminism. Uh, you know, there's a lot to that as well. But basically, the critique in feminism was, hey, you know, men have been abusing, abusing power. The, the patriarchy is what's often quoted uh, has been abusing power. They've they've been taking advantage of women. They've been doing terrible things to us. They've oppressed us in many different ways, and all of this. And so the church during this time is like, whoa, we probably should evaluate this. <laughs> we probably should have a conversation about this. And so what happened, uh, because the, the feminist critique was actually to some degree warranted and spot on with the abuse that went on, uh, the church began to start to have some murmurings of egalitarianism. And egalitarianism is, is basically... Uh, if not feminism, feminist uh, Christianity, it at least leans that way or tends in that direction to say, you know, there's no distinction. There's no male nor female. So, you know, you're not the leader of the household anymore. We're co-leaders. And to some degree, I might even be the leader in some areas. And that idea coupled with uh, the you know the social liberation that went on for women uh, in the past, the economic liberation that went on for women in the past, uh, there did there there quite literally became a a an egalitarian society, which then led to us thinking that maybe it does need to be fifty fifty. Maybe the Bible's kind of outdated in this way or or irrelevant in this way is the question that you would get taken away from because it's like well why is there a distinction between leadership she might be earning more than him in some cases you know she might be more qualified in some cases to lead so it became it became not a question of what god said but what was convenient what worked what was pragmatic okay Fast forward into the 1980s, 1988 is when uh, a council of men, and I think women too, but mostly men, came together and they were saying, you know, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with the cultural phenomenon that's going on that is literally uh, affecting our church in the way that we view uh, male headship, in the way that we view uh, God's design for marriage? How do we comment on this because a lot of their critiques are valid they're valid there has been an abuse of biblical headship in culture um, and there shouldn't be because god has a way in which he wants to run marriages and how he wants to have marriages reflect his relationship with the church that's a good thing but there have been abuses of it so how do we critique 
those folks that are critiquing the culture, abusing uh, our fundamental structure that God has given us to live by. And so uh, there was a council of biblical manhood and womanhood that met and they created what was called the Danvers Statement. This happened in 1988 uh, in Wheaton, Illinois, uh, November 1988. And I'll leave a link for that in the show notes. It's really good read. If you're a theology guy, you may not necessarily care to read all of that, but I found it really interesting. Um, And so I'm trying to break that down for you. But the basic gist of it was was to say that there there is a way that God has created us. He has created us with unique gifts and abilities. There is unique gifts gifts and abilities that a woman has and there's unique gifts and abilities that a man has a man leading a marriage doesn't make him superior to the woman but rather it's it's god's design for the man to step up into that role to provide structure and to provide godly god-ordained leadership so that his woman could flourish and grow into her skills, gifts, talents, and abilities, okay? And I think that it was a really good job that they did. I'll let you guys read it so that you guys can see. Um, But the reality of it is, is that God has a design for marriage, right? Because what God is trying to communicate and what Paul wrote in Ephesians is that marriage isn't just preference. It isn't just uh, a, a good idea. It isn't just about um, what we think is is appropriate as a culture. Marriage literally is the parable or the story of the gospel outlaid in a relationship. You said, Jonathan, man, <laughs> come on, man. It's, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that serious. Really? Why does Paul refer to the Old Testament about it then? Why does Jesus refer to it when he's talking with the Pharisees about divorce? Why does he refer to the Old Testament? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Why did they make such an important reference back to Genesis, back to the original establishment of gender dynamics in family? If it's not that important. Marriage mimics the gospel a a god-honoring marriage should be telling the truth about god's love for his people and so the question that you might have okay jonathan you're saying all this whatever where do you land on this i land in the complementarian camp if you if you don't know by now that's where i land because i i I truly do believe that god has a specific design for me and a specific design for my wife that doesn't make her inferior to me that doesn't make me inferior to her that just means that god has called me to a specific role and she's and he's called her to a specific role now based on how he's designed us you know and it's kind of like, I don't know if you guys have ever, you, you probably haven't, but uh, Lee and I, whenever we were trying to, whenever we were going to get married, we signed up for ballroom dancing because we wanted to learn how to dance and we wanted to be able to kind of cut a rug on the dance floor, that kind of thing. Now, we didn't finish the course, okay, but we we wanted to learn how to dance. And so 
we went and our teacher, he says, gentlemen, talking to me, he said, gentlemen, or talking to all the guys, really, your role is to be like a picture, like a picture frame. You are the frame. You are the strength. You are the lead in this, typically because you have the physical ability to do such a thing. Now, as the frame, as the lead, your job is to provide structure and uh, basically the bones of the dance so that you can make her look good. <laughs> and we were thinking, wow, that's that's crazy, man. That's that's awesome. I don't know if I could do it because, I, you know, ballroom dancing. Quick caveat. It's really difficult to do. <laughs> I, I don't have the footwork capability. I could probably get better at it, but I just I didn't have what I needed at the time. So we ended up not finishing. Uh, plus, it was kind of expensive, too. But but follow me on that for a minute. Our role in leadership. Right. If you if you take that example, our role in leadership is not to force right because when you're dancing one thing i'll tell you when you're dancing and you're leading the dance you're not forcing a woman into the different twirls and positions that she that she does during the dance you are providing structure and then inviting her to move okay it's not a forced thing it's a it's kind of a rock solid thing it's 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 just being there offering your strength to your 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 follow so that she can grow and flourish and dance in this really awesome really uh i would say it communicates literally a god honoring relationship between a man and a woman in marriage and the question that you guys come away with is like all right jonathan enough of this fluffy stuff <laughs> <laughs> how can I apply it right you, you've told me about the dance and I get that I need to offer my strength I need to be the frame and kind of help her to grow and flourish and nurture that's my role as a leader so how do I apply it and I'm gonna just read you a quote from John Piper uh, wrote a book called what's the difference uh, manhood and womanhood I just want to read a quote uh, in the section that's talking about what is masculinity And this particular section is really fascinating to me um the quote says, a man's leadership is not measured by his obviousness to the ideas and desire. Or sorry, a man's leadership is not measured by his obliviousness to the ideas and desires of others. A leader of peers may be surrounded by much brighter people than himself. What he should do is that he will listen and respond. And if he is a good leader, they will appreciate his initiative and guidance through the ups and the downs of decision making. The aim of leadership is not to demonstrate the superiority of the leader. But to bring out all the strengths of all the people that will move them forward toward a desired goal. What a great picture. Right. Like the leadership that we're trying to get is not, hey, pass me the chips. You know, I, I talk to a lot of guys say, yeah, I'm a complimentarian. And then he's treating his wife like garbage. You know what I mean? Like it's that's not it. The, the leadership that we are to invoke, the leadership that Christ uh, leads us with is him offering his strength, offering his power, offering his life so that we might grow and flourish in the goodness of 
and mercy and justice and truth of God. And gentlemen, we have to take that example and put that into plain practice in our daily lives with our wives, offering our strength as a gift and not using it as a weapon. And it's with that, gentlemen, I say, take care and build on.